Thanks, Ben, for that reading. Um, it's always a great way to start. We just read scripture. And um, this morning, we're going to be moving quickly. I'm just going to tell you that from the beginning. Pastor Mike asked me to um, preach on uh, the re- kind of reminding about us about our membership expectations, right? No amens, no cheers, right? <laughs> I knew... I knew that was gonna uh, knew that was gonna be an issue. Um, sorry, I don't know where the screens went. That's okay. We'll keep moving. Um, we are still in transition with. There's new stuff back there from the man who owns the building and his company. So we don't know why we just lost our TVs, but we hope to get them up soon. But one of the things uh, I, I even I shouldn't I shouldn't do this. My wife's gonna be upset with me over this one. I should have asked permission first. But even the, she asked me this week, "What are you preaching on?" And I said membership expectations. She goes, ugh. <laughs> right? She just communicated what you all probably thought. So that's okay. I knew that. I, I, I actually had thought about that going into it. I was like, man, this is going to sound really like dry and boring when I just say what the title is. Um, those of you who just went through members class, uh, you, you're like, this is old news for us. We just went over this. But I want to start... Um, really in that passage of Matthew in just a second, but I want to, I want us to see why we have membership expectations, that it's not just a dry thing. Um, We want to encourage one another. We want to build you up, but it really starts with a love for God. And so that's why I wanted to start in uh, Matthew 22 to remind us of why we, why we have these expectations. Where do they need to come from? Because we can do all of these things and not love God. That's the reality. And in fact, I would say over the last, I don't know how many decades, maybe since the beginning of, of Jesus coming to earth, I don't know when it started, but we have tend to have pendulum switches, right? Where the pendulum will swing one way, or swing the other way. In the past, or maybe now even at times, depending on where you are and where you worship, there are times where the rules, the law, what we would maybe call like legalism pervades, Right? If you just do all the right things, then you're good, okay? That, that can be a way that Christians can approach the Christian life. It's all about rules. If I obey God's commands, I'm good. But then we, we realize that that doesn't always work, right? In fact, it never works. If it's just about rules and regulations, then the Pharisees, the one group of people, those religious leaders, that they followed the rules much better than we do, Right? And yet God, that, that was kind of the only group of people that God really, really had very little time for, right? In Jesus' ministry. He, he didn't really spend a lot of time with the Pharisees because they were what we call self-righteous. They thought they were good in themselves. And as Christians, even those who are true followers of Christ, we can kind of revert back to that at times, right? We can get so in just like, well, I read my Bible and I pray and I do all the right things. We can almost forget our love for God. On the other hand, we have another pendulum switch that I think happened kind of maybe in my generation a little bit, maybe still happening. I don't know. You can't really like completely put, you know, the guides on these things. But um, what happens is they, they shifted. They, they, people realize, Christians realize, like it can't be all about rules. And what we saw is, and, and I saw in my, own, in my own like friend group, my peers that I went to church with, when they were so focused on the rules what happened is very few of them are still in the faith. Because to them, it was just rules. 
And, and they have a decision to make before God. They have to put their faith in God. So I'm not taking that personal responsibility away from them. But what people found was it didn't work because rules never save people. If you go through the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is, is really, if you, if you think about it, as you read through it, I'm reading through it in my devotions now, as you read through the Old Testament, it's like, it's almost like God has just put up all these different things in history to say, hey, if, you, if I have a group of people that are called by my name, shouldn't they follow me? And the answer is, no, they can't right? They, they're going to fail. You have the Jewish people, and they fail. And then, then they have judges that lead them, and the judges, even with the judges leading them, they still fail. Then they have kings, right? They're like, okay, we need a king. Every other nation has kings. Now we figured out what our problem is, and they still fail, right? And then they get in the promised land. They finally get in the promised land, and all of that stuff, right? And they still fail God, the reality is, is that we rules or even having all these special blessings won't change us unless we have a relationship with our father, our creator. And how do we get that relationship? It's through Jesus, right? That is the gospel. The gospel is not just eternal life. The good news is not just I get to go to heaven someday. The good news is I can know the Father, my creator, and I can really fulfill the purpose that he made me for, and he made all humans for, was to have a relationship with him. That's why in the Garden of Eden, before sin, we know that they, they fellowship together. There was a tight fellowship, a tight relationship that Adam and Eve had with God, and sin broke that. So rules are never going to change who we truly are. We can look very good on the outside. Again, we can be Pharisees, right? We're good at that, right? Some of us, that's our bent, right? Some of us, that's just like, uh, you're strong people. You're naturally strong. You're just very like disciplined, structured people. And sometimes you, we can allow that discipline and structure to make us feel spiritual, okay? And so the other pendulum switch is, all right, if, if I don't want to depend on all these rules and regulations, commands of God that may even be good things, we got to have heart, right? we got to have heart. But what you happens is the same thing with the one side happens with the other side. Because we're going to see in this passage that heart matters, but God also tells us, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? There are commandments. There are expectations. And this may seem weird to us because for some reason we put our relationship with God, like kind of, we view it a little differently than other relationships. But if you're in here and you're married and you say, hey, honey, I love you. I, my heart loves you, but you don't do things that she likes you do, or you do things that she dislikes and you don't really care, you can say you love them. You can even have like a, a feeling of, of love, but our, our actions speak louder than our words often, right? They show our heart. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Why do we have membership expectations? We're going to start with the heart in verse 34 of Matthew 22. Um, sorry. Um, we, we, we have membership expectations not to replace our relationship with God. Okay? Sometimes we think if we do the right things, that's going to replace a relationship. It's going to feel cold or dry, and it's not for that at all. We're going to see what it's really for. In verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So we are called to love God. That's not a bad thing, right? So the pendulum swing may swing this way, and that's not a bad thing. But really, God's called us to a balance, okay? He's called us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. What does that mean? He's saying, with everything you are, want what I want. Love who I am. Want to know me more. But how do we do that? And it's, it's interesting because in the second commandment, he kind of tells us, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we are going to love God, we are also going to love our neighbors, right? There's an application. It works itself out. And you look at the Ten Commandments, and you see these two basic commands really work themselves out even in those basic Ten Commandments. So we need to love God. That's important. So really our, our expectations as members, and when I say that, it's really biblical expectations as believers. Whether you're a part of this church or another church somewhere else, the expectations don't change because they really come from God. And we as a body want to hold each other accountable and encourage each other and build each other up to meet what God asks us to meet. What we're going to see is that these are not expectations to replace a relationship with God. Instead, they're really expectations to strengthen our relationship with God. If you imagine, again, a married couple or a dating couple or really any relationship, and maybe you're struggling, right? And you're like, we don't know how to interact well. We don't feel like we're loving each other well. What do you normally do? There's a couple things. You can go ask somebody for help, right? You can read a book. Hopefully we go to God's word. What does God say about it? But what are you looking for? You're looking for tools to help you love that person better and to have a better marriage. And really God, through his word, gives us those tools. He says, hey, if you want a relationship with me, it's not gonna just come natural, right? Because you're sinful people, you're people that naturally aren't going to follow after me. But here's some ways that you can strengthen that relationship with me, and I will work through these ways. And so we see in John chapter 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. I do. So here's what we have. We have a change, a shift in how most people view relationship or religion, maybe, with God, right? Most people view religion as you do to create a relationship with God. I have to be good enough, and then I can have a relationship with God. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we carry that natural religious type thinking into our relationship with God, even as believers, right? We, I think we tend to revert back to that. If I do these things, then I'll have a relationship with God, or I'll strengthen it, or be better, or God will love me more, he'll be more approving of me. The reality is it works the other way, in John 14, it says, he says, I say to whoever believes in me, so we have a relationship, will also do the works that I do. When God, when we know God and we, we understand how loving and how good and how compassionate he is, we're going to serve him. We're going to want to know him better and serve him. So he says, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you notice something about that? There's a lot about what we do, right? 
He says a lot of things about our actions, what we do, the things that, that, that we participate in, because God cares about those things. Then he says in verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So he wants us to do it, but he also goes back and says, but don't forget that really anything you do for me is really through me anyway, right? So it's, like, it's kind of like a back and forth, right? We should have expectations for our, for our spiritual walks with God, but we also can never go back the other way and think we can do it ourselves. And so what does he promise us? Because let's face it, if, we, if God just told us this and he didn't give us verse 15, it'd be hard. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. God literally sent the third person of the Trinity to indwell us to meet the expectations that he gives us so that we can know him better, so that we can enjoy our life and our, and, our, and our work with him better. God gives us not just a thing or a tool, he gives us himself in the spirit. And I'm not gonna try to explain, nor will I be able to explain exactly how there's God in three persons, but that is the reality in whom the world cannot receive because it neither, neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So God promises us this, this relationship, but he says, how do you strengthen that relationship? How does it become more real in your life? How, how do you just deepen that? Which is what every relationship should be. And he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, but don't get all caught up in commandments. Realize that there's gotta be a relationship and then I'm going to give you a helper, the Spirit. And so I wanted to start there because what we're going to see throughout these passages that we look at, and we have seven things, that's what I told you, we're going to move very quickly. We have seven expectations that we expect of our members, that we encourage and build each other up. And as you're going to notice is there's relationship and expectation in almost all of these passages. There may be one or two that don't, but I wanted to kind of point that out, that relationship and love is not is not like an enemy of expectation. They both go together quite well. And so we're gonna see that in these passages. So biblical ways to strengthen our relationship with God. That's why we have spiritual expectations um, here at Community Baptist Church, and really as believers. The first one is um, inviting others to Christ. Right? We, we know we have the Great Commission, but we're going to look at a slightly different passage this morning. We need to share the gospel with others. It's Jude 20. It says, but you, beloved, notice the very first or second, third word, beloved, right? Relationship communication here. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Again, a lot of love, a lot of relationship, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How do we do that? What is one aspect of keeping ourselves in the love of God? Have mercy on those who doubt. Okay, so there's a first group of people that he's gonna say how you interact with. There's people in this room who are, who are gonna be doubters. And I don't think it means in this passage, it doesn't mean like doubters, like they're antagonistic. It means some people have faith in Christ, but at times, whether it's because of false teaching or because of maybe, maybe Satan working in their lives and, and, and kind of accusing them, that they're gonna be start doubting some things. And he says, have mercy on those. Don't be like, hey, if you're a true believer, you would never doubt. 
right? He says, have mercy on those people. Understand that you were one who was once lost. You may doubt at some point in your life, so have mercy. But then he says in verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. There's another group of people who are on their way to literal fire in hell. And you and I have the opportunity and really the calling by God, one of our expectations that God has given us to share the truth of Jesus Christ. He says to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Why do we fear? We fear because when we understand the reality of where our sin truly leads, that's a fearful thing. And when we understand that we were once just like them without Jesus working in our life, it's scary to even think about what could have been if we don't put our faith in Christ. That is a scary thing. And then we fear for them because we wouldn't want our worst enemy to suffer that. So we share the gospel. Why? Because we love God in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God by showing mercy to those who doubt and saving others by snatching them out of the fire. We're going to move quickly through this. Um, second one, participate in growing together. We're in Hebrews 10, uh, verse 10, or verse 24. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. All right, here's an expectation. He says, part of your duties as a believer is not just to grow yourself, right? It's to affect other people. How do I build other people up? What? How do I do it? another to love and to good works, right? You notice the two things we're talking about? A love for who? Maybe a love for each other, but it's probably really speaking of a love for God, which leads to good works. It says in, um, in the New Testament that we are called towards good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is an aspect of our culture where we, like, we could just stay home, right? Because we have live streams and, you know, there's great churches that have all these cool live streams. We can hear, hear great preachers, right? And we could live our Christian life very isolated. But an expectation, yes, that community has for its members, but more importantly, that God has for all of his followers is that we meet together. How do we build one another up? We've got to get together right? We could sit at home and we could hear good preaching. We could sit in our nice recliner and we could be comfortable and it could be very spiritually uplifting for us. But there's an expectation that God has that we build one another up, that we're more strengthened in him together than we are apart. So that's uh, the second expectation that we'll look at this morning. The third one is serving each other. And this is probably similar to the second one, but a little bit different. And we look at Galatians 5.13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, notice love, do something. What is that doing? Serve one another. Right? Through love, serve one another. We can do a lot of service. I mean, honestly, I could be someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, and I could be an incredible servant. But he says, through love, serve one another. Do it through Jesus' love. Do it because you love them, because you love their soul. So God calls us here that if we are called, we have this freedom right? We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And so sometimes, again, because of our human nature, we can take good things 
like freedom from the law. Aren't you glad you're not under the 600 and some laws in the Old Testament? I am. Aren't you glad we don't have to like every Sunday come and sacrifice a sheep? I know we talk about that, but that's, it's really a disgusting thing. Like most people don't want to do that. And it was supposed to be, that was a picture at that time. But we have Jesus who came and is a great picture of us and and a great reminder that he loves us and he came as as a human we don't have to do those things because we have the true, the true uh, lamb who came and died for our sins, Jesus Christ. So we can be thankful for that, but sometimes we can be like, I'm forgiven, and I'm going to live however I want. And he says, no, don't use your freedom because you are forgiven from your sins. You don't have to pay the penalty that you deserve for those sins as an occasion for the flesh. He says, in, in, in fact, do the opposite. Use it for the good of others. That's what loving me looks like, right? The second greatest commandment. If you love me, you'll love people I love, and I love everybody, so love them, because they're all created in my image. This is one in the church that can be very, like, hurtful if we don't do it well and can be very helpful if we do how do we have unity one of the things i think community you know does well i don't think we're perfect but i would say overall we have great unity and this verse plays a part in that there's times where we can be we can judge ourselves harshly that's fine but judge other people with grace we're going to look at that in a little bit and, and examining ourselves The second one, or well, the fourth one, I think, right? Give of our finances. Uh Uh-oh, now we're stepping on toes, right? (laughs) Like we've gone from preaching to stepping on toes, right? And sometimes I'll say as when I was younger, and some of you are like, you're still young. I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 in like a month, okay, just to let you know. So I'm feeling a little bit older at this stage of my life. Some of you, that's, you're like, wow, you're really old. Some of you are thinking, no, that's not old yet. Just wait. I heard yesterday it's when you hit 50. That's when things really start to change. So I don't know. Um, but sometimes, like, as I was younger and I'd, you'd talk about preaching on finances, it, it was uncomfortable. And I've kind of gotten over that. I, I don't know. Well, I know exactly why. The reason is is because I've seen God provide in my life, and I'm not a great example of giving, but I've seen when we do what God asks us to do as a family that we're never without. Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, you notice that connection. It's not just about giving money, right? There's a lot of very generous philanthropists in our world that don't love God. And for eternity, they're doing good things, but it doesn't matter. Because anything without faith is useless in God's eyes, right? If we don't have faith in him and we just do it because we're good people— that's not what God's called us to. He wants, to do the, he wants us to do right things because we love him. And he, he connects it here in this verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at your money. Look at your finances, the things that are most important to you. Where you place them is what you love the most, right? And that can be hard sometimes for us to take because we're like, ooh, that's kind of hard, right? But when we love something, we invest in it. We love our children, right? And so when they need something, we're not like, I mean, sometimes we are, okay. Are you kidding me? Another $20? You know, my kids get a little older. It feels like $20 becomes $40 becomes, you know, everything gets more expensive. But ultimately we love to supply their needs. 
We love to give to them. Like even when it's Christmas or their birthday or whatever time we, we give them a present, we enjoy that, right? Why? Because we love them. And we don't, we're, we don't get bitter about like, oh, I've got to invest in my kids. Why do we give to God? Does he need our money? Does he need your money? Does he need my money? No. One, it's all his, right? That's the thing. And I know we say it. I know we say it, but do we live that way? Do we give that way? And some of it may be giving to the church, right? I think God's called us to that. I think that's a New Testament teaching and expectation. But some of it may be giving to others in need around us. I kind of wonder, and I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit off of Give Ever Finances, but just kind of as a reminder, sometimes in our culture in Spring Hill, I would say for the most part, we are very blessed financially. Some people, it's easier to write a check than it is to give of your time, right? Sometimes it's like, I'll gladly write a check if I just don't have to spend my time. So whatever that treasure is, I think it has to be our finances, but it also could be our time, our energy, all of those things that God has called us to. This is a great litmus test for us. Where am I? Am I loving God? Is that where my treasure is? Then I know where my heart is. The next expectation, examine yourself regularly. Romans 14, verse 10, it says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if, you bro if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So what is it saying here? Is it saying, stop judging your brother? And it's, it's saying it not in a, in a really like upfront way, but he's saying instead, judge yourself. Judge what you do. Don't always look at your brother and be like, hey, why do they keep failing? Why do they keep messing up here? Instead of looking at ourselves, don't be a stumbling block for them. Examine ourselves. Why is it easier for us to see sin in others than it is in ourselves? Well, I mean, we know why. It's the flesh, right? I always, tell, I always tell people like, it's easier for me to see my sin in someone else than it is to see my sin in myself. It's the same sin, but it looks much more ugly in their life than it does in my life, right? And then all of a sudden the spirit hits and you're like, ooh, I do the same thing. Does it really look that bad to other people? Does it look that bad to you, God? It does. So examine ourselves, care more about what we can do for others, not judging them, not trying to bring them down. Not that we don't approach people, right? That's part of being a body and we can go to them in, in a way that, I, I think the idea here is when he says judge here, judging is putting like a final, a final statement saying they're bad, basically they're no good anymore. A true brother and sister in Christ is going to say, hey, they may be struggling, but I want to come alongside them and build them up. I'm going to help them. They may have sin in their lives and it may be ugly, just like my sin is ugly. And so we remember our sin. We're gracious with them because we know what that's like because we're just like them. And then we want to build them up in that. So examine ourselves regularly and be careful that we do not become judgmental with others instead. Forgive others easily. It's the second to the last one, I believe. Yep, forgive others easily. 
1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, notice the connection, love and forgiveness, right? Now this is, a, I think there's really two types of forgiveness in the Bible. There's a forgiveness of those who ask for it, and then there's forgiveness of those who don't. This is the second one. And this is the one I think that probably more often we actually should use, okay? I don't think every little time someone offends us, right? And sometimes we can't. Someone in front of us, right? Let's just get real. We're in the car and someone cuts us off. We have the opportunity to become angry, bitter, hostile. I don't know. Whatever you do, right? Let's be honest. The car is a, it seems like a safe place to be angry and hostile, but it's not because God sees us. That's an opportunity to forgive someone who isn't asking for forgiveness, right? We see this in Jesus' life. When he was dying on the cross, what does he say to, to the people? What does he say to his father about the people that are putting him on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't even understand like the, the severity of how bad they're doing is, right? What the, the thing that they're doing, they're not killing a, a person who's evil. They're not killing even just a regular person. They're killing their creator. They're killing the God who's literally through this, this murder is going to save their souls or at least offer them salvation. They don't understand God. Would you forgive them? Man, if we lived that, how different would our lives be? There's people in your life that hurt you regularly or that bother you, anger you, frustrate you. But what if we lived out this expectation that God has for us? If I love them, I'm going to let that sin go. God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to release it to you in forgiveness. Then there's obviously the other, the more traditional view of forgiveness that someone says, I'm sorry, I did this. Would you forgive me? And we forgive them. Again, we release that burden, that, that, that weight from them. And we really put it on God's shoulders because he's covered all of our sins through his blood. Then lastly, pray for others regularly. In Colossians uh, 1, 7, we're going to start at kind of the end of 7. It says, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He's talking about Epaphras. In verse 8, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. See, the connection between we heard that you love God. And because we know you love God, what does that do? What is the work? What is the expectation? Or what is the, what is the thing that's driven to us because we hear of your love in the Spirit? We want to pray for you. We're not with you. I mean, I don't know if, if they would have known these people exactly. I don't know if they would have uh, ever met before a lot of these believers. They may not have never met before or after this. But they had a love for one another because they loved God together. They both loved God, and when they saw that love, they wanted to pray for them. And it says at the end of verse 9, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This stuck out to me in this passage this week. How often do we pray like this for people, right? We pray for people, I hope. We pray for people a lot. But, and, and not that it's wrong to pray for physical issues, but I would say it's probably the most thing we pray for people God, help their finances to be good, help their bills to be paid, help their health to be well, they're sick, would you help them to get better? 
But you notice what's prayed for here in, in, in inspired scripture is really none of those things. Not that we don't use them, but what if we prayed for each other in this way that we would, God would offer and, and give spiritual wisdom to each other? That they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. That they'd be filled with who God is and what he wants for them. God's calling on their life. And that they would understand it and live that out. I wonder if our church would be quite a bit different if we prayed like that regularly. Really, these, we went quickly. I, I knew it would be fast. That's why I put all the, all the uh, verses up on the screen. I thought it would just be quicker than trying to do a sword drill pretty much this morning. And sometimes, again, at the beginning of the message, you might have thought this is going to be horribly dry. I hope it wasn't. hope it wasn't dry. But ultimately, if we love God, he has expectations for us. As a church, we want to help you. If there's something that you're struggling with, or you're saying, Dan, I'm struggling with giving because quite frankly, we're in a financial bind right now. We want to help you. Don't hold that back. Don't be like, oh, I don't want to tell people. I don't. We want to help you as a church. We're here to love and to support one another. If you're like, Dan, like I, my relationships even at home aren't going well. How can I love people here when I'm having a hard time loving my spouse or we're, we're not getting along or my kids are driving me nuts? We want to help you. That's what we're talking about here. So if there's any of these that you're like, I'm struggling with, we want to help you. We want to pray for you. We want to build you up. And again, that is the heart, the heart of we want to love God first. And how do we better love God is by doing the things he called us to do. God says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for how you've given us these, we could call them tools, we can call them expectations, but Lord, you call them your commandments. God, I pray that you'd help us to love you. God, I pray that you'd help us this morning as your spirit works through your word, that if there's areas that we're, we're failing in, maybe these expectations we're saying, we're not, we're not meeting those. God, if I was honest with myself and as I'm honest with you, I'm not meeting that one. May we just confess that to you. You promised to forgive us of that. And God, you promised to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for that. We thank you for this seemingly easy forgiveness, but we know it's through the blood of your son that we can access it. May we be thankful for forgiveness. May we be thankful for your love for us because we know it's only because you loved us first that we can truly have love for you. Lord, may you take control of our heart our soul, and our mind, everything that we are and everything that we do this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.